Welcome to Deep Look, Ulti World's weekly radio show about the current state of Ultimate. I'm the host and the editor of Ulti World, Charlie Eisenhood. Joining me this week, Keith Rayner, Ulti World's senior editor. Keith, what's going on? Just in the middle of the throes of the week, you know, hump day, as it were. I just had a tournament this past weekend and uh, getting ready for what for me is an unusually quiet weekend compared to what it's like most weekends in the in the middle of the ultimate season. I know. That's uh I, I'm I'm not gonna be quite so free. I'm gonna be headed down to Tampa for warm up, uh staple on the calendar, of course. We're gonna talk a lot about that tournament. We're gonna talk about the tournament happening all the way on the other coast, uh, and that's the President's Day invite in San Diego. We'll also talk a little bit about some of the other tournaments that have been going on. Uh, we've got the Easterns qualifier coming up. We just had the Stanford Open. And so we will get to all of that. Also going to talk a little bit later in the show about uh, the trend of early Callahan videos and a little bit of news about the 2017 Triple Crown Tour and the new guidelines. So we'll get into all of that. But let's begin in college and a look ahead to what's really, I think, the first what I would call major weekend of the season. And that we have, you know, two significant events, um, warm up men's tournament in Tampa and the president's day invite men's and women's tournament out in San Diego. I think the first thing to note is that as of this recording, everything is a go for pres day, but there is a lot of rain in the forecast for Friday and Saturday and potentially even Thursday night, there are no backup fields. So there is a chance that the tournament is going to have to either be truncated or potentially canceled. Um, The latest that I've heard is that, at least for now, things are a go. By the time this podcast is online, that could change. Um, So make sure to stay tuned to UltiWorld for the latest. Um, I have also heard that they, they do have access to some turf fields, so they may end up reducing the number of teams at the tournament, cutting down to 12 teams a division. Uh, I don't know how they would determine that, if they would just say sorry to the bottom seeds, you know, below 12, uh, or exactly how that would work. But for now, we're going to just assume things are happening. They are, tell me that they are very hopeful that it will continue, and the decision should be made by the end of today, which is Wednesday, about what is going to happen. So we'll try to get this online before we find out more, I guess. Um, but uh, two two very significant tournaments, lots of top teams taking the field for the first time, many others uh, getting out there for their second time. And, and really, this is a chance for teams to really measure up against elite competition. Uh, what are you looking forward to most, Keith? Well, it's strange to say that I'll be watching such a big weekend from home. I know there was some consideration about me going to warm up this year for the first time ever, but uh, it's always fun to have these big weekends where there's a lot to go on. And, you know, you hop on Twitter in the morning and you get to stay on all day uh, as you see the action and the the scores roll in. Um, There's definitely a lot to take stock of. We have so many teams that are making their first appearances and a lot of top 10 teams in both divisions. And, of course, the big thing is going to be finding out how they shape how they shape up uh, compared to some teams that have already gotten some run in or teams that haven't really you, – you look at the two Oregon teams, uh, both men's and women's, and they haven't even gotten in a lot of quality competition. So we're going to find out what they can do at each of these tournaments where uh, they are the the men are the number one seed and the and the women are the number two seed. But you know, in the men's division, you're getting your first looks at so many of the top ten teams: uh, Carlton at warm up, Colorado at Pres Day. Uh, again, you know, caveats for Oregon plus Washington, uh, probably with Khalif El Salam back. They're both at Pres Day. Then a warm up, you've got Minnesota, Pittsburgh, Texas A&M, Texas, Wisconsin. Uh, it goes down the list, really. So for me, it's going to be getting those first impressions of teams and seeing who stacks up where compared to our expectations for them. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, this is really the, uh, in some ways, a reckoning for a lot of teams. You know, we have a lot of teams in the top twenty-five right now, based on fall results, based on reputation. And now we get to actually see where they stack up. Uh, let's start out west at Pres Day. And, uh, you know, I think one of the big stories right off the bat is, 
you know, how is Stanford going to stack up in the women's division? And, uh, you know, as they start to see some other high caliber competition, do they look as powerful and dominant as they did a couple weeks back at the Santa Barbara invite? Uh, what, what are your early, what's your early take on that, Keith? Well, I know, Charlie, you have been stumping strong for Stanford really being yes. far and away the best team in the division, and this will be their chance to prove it. Uh, I don't expect them to get very rattled in pool play, but uh, don't forget that this is a three-day tournament that reforms into power pools, uh, weather withstanding. Uh, so I don't know if that's something that's going to end up happening or not. So chances are they'll get some looks at you know a team like a, a Cal or Western Washington, who right now is is sitting pretty with a top ten spot in the rankings. Uh, they're number five, so there's a lot of hope for this team to be really strong this year. And Stanford could end up looking at a team like that. I think if I had to if I had to take one way or the other, I would think that Stanford is going to be in the best position to be successful out of all these teams and, and will look pretty solid. And that's not in any small part to the fact that they've gotten a lot of quality reps already. Uh, that to me is going to put an already talented and experienced team out ahead of the likes of Colorado, Texas, Oregon, and Western Washington. I'm definitely intrigued. Um, you know, even if Stanford goes undefeated and wins the tournament, I think there's a lot of interesting things that will happen further down the bracket. You know, where is Oregon? You know, th- does Texas, for example, surpass Oregon I- this year in terms of? potential and um you know sort of how we see them i I think that's possible oregon of course graduating a lot of top talent we know they're going to be good the question is how do they deal with their first you know rebuilding year i guess in a really long time and of course that's all relative you know a rebuilding year for oregon may not mean all that much uh, and we're going to get to see that but there's a lot of good teams you know you look all the way down to maybe nine seed here uh, with teams like UCLA, Western Washington, Cal, Washington, and then down at number nine, Colorado College. And I think you've got some real talent. I mean, even all the way through the, the three seeds in the pools, Carleton, USC, and UCSD, a lot of talent. And I, I think it's going to be a, a big reshuffling in the middle. Uh, I'm pretty high on Texas, given what we've seen from them so far. Uh, I also think that uh, Washington could show up in a big way this weekend. Uh, And I'm curious to see where Colorado falls. It feels like that's a team that has been just, they've underperformed a little bit at nationals for a couple years. And I want to see them be successful because I think that they have the talent to do it, uh, especially this year. Well, you talk about Colorado, Charlie, and you look at that deadly pool C, three top 10 power ranked teams in one pool. When's the last time you saw that? Uh, We've got Colorado, Western Washington, and USC, who, after a strong start to the season, moved up into the top 10, uh, which is certainly a peak for that team. And I think this is a big opportunity for them. They've got the extra reps that Colorado and Western Washington don't have. They could put them in the Southwest in a very strong position should they play well in that pool. Uh, But you're right, Charlie. The the field is deep. There's a lot of talent. And I don't think there's going to be many easy wins in this. And I I certainly expect some things to go away from seed. One of the teams who I think is the most, maybe the most important team at the entire tournament, Carleton College, right? They are seeded number 10 and they're number 23 or so in our rankings, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, But they are the connective tissue that's going to start off the season. They just played a Queen City tune-up. So they were in a format with a bunch of other East Coast teams, and now they're flying out to the West Coast. Typically, something that that hurts East Coast teams, especially if they've just competed pretty recently. That was two weekends ago. Uh, But if they can go out there and secure some good results, it's going to do a lot for the East Coast and the center of the country. But if they go out there and struggle, it's really going to tilt the scales even further towards the western half of the United States. Right. And I think that's the the big question that we talked about last week on the podcast. Where do the coasts relate to each other? And as you mentioned, we have a, we're going to get some connectivity now. Um, and this is kind of a big deal. I mean, of course, we're going to get more later this season, especially at the Northwest Challenge. Uh, but uh, as a sort of early sort of bellwether, 
this is going to be pretty important to see how how does Carlton stack up. I think it's probably pretty beneficial for them to have played a tournament already and kind of got some of the the, the hiccups out. Um, you know, we we talked last week about how they came out in their first game of the season against Tufts and just literally looked awful. Um, they they couldn't even you know complete c- catches, uh, but then bounced back and ended up winning the rest of their games that weekend. So where where do they fit in? I think that's a that's a really important question. And they have an interesting pool, uh, you know, game against Cal that's going to be a pretty big deal. And you know they they'll be underdogs to Oregon, but you know get a win there and and suddenly we, maybe we change our minds about how we think the relative strengths are uh, of the West and the East. If you're going to pick a winner, Keith, we'll stay here just for now and 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 talk bracket. Um, of course, it's going to be wet and probably a little bit windy on Saturday. It looks like it should clear up later in the weekend. Um, but uh, definitely unpleasant conditions forecasted right now for the first day of competition. Uh, but if you have to pick a winner and teams that you expect to do well, who are you taking? Well, obviously I'm going to take Stanford. There, I, I don't think there's any reason to, to doubt them at this point. But if you made me pick after Stanford, let's say you know Stanford is gets upset or something like that, to me the teams Texas and UCLA are the teams that jump out of me. UCLA has has reps already, and I think that's going to let them be a little more prepared for various conditions. Uh, and a player like Han Chen can do a lot for you on both sides of the disc in, in you know crazy conditions. A powerful thrower and a great deep defender. Those are the kind of things you need to be successful in crazy conditions. Texas is another team. Yeah, they're the next highest ranked team after Stanford at the tournament. Uh, so I don't see any reason to get away from that. They're experienced. They're gritty. They have some height to play in the wind. They have some throwers. So I expect them to do really well. And, and for me, they would be the second team after Stanford to, to do well this weekend at, at Price Day. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm also, as I said, high on Texas. Um, I, I definitely am picking Stanford. I, I, have, I have a feeling that Stanford could go undefeated this year and win the championship. You know, maybe maybe it's a little early to say that, and I, I could be eating my words after this weekend. But um, they are super good, and we have seen maybe less than impressive early returns from the other teams we expected to be at their level, Dartmouth and Whitman. Um, so you know, right now, Stanford looking like they're very solid. Uh, we'll see what happens this weekend. Uh, I think. I'm looking for big things from the South Central. Both Colorado and Texas, I think, could have big weekends. I think they should both make semis. And uh, I, I, I hope to see Texas take on Stanford in a semifinal. And that would be a, a compelling game at this point in the season, something that I'll definitely be keeping an eye on while I'm in Florida. Absolutely. And to me, the, the teams that are hovering around that, that are, are projected to hover around the bid bubble are the teams that I, I'm going to be paying attention to in addition to those top teams. We already talked about Carlton, but you mentioned the South Central. Colorado College is in attendance, uh, and they're a team that could be around the bubble. We don't know how many bids the Northwest is going to get, how many bids the Southwest is going to get. Uh, and Carlton's results really have domino effects down the line when you're talking about you know New England, North Central, uh, it'll be interesting to see how that stuff plays out because the bid picture is going to start taking shape basically after this weekend. Yep, this is a big weekend for figuring out where teams stand. Uh, let's look at the men's division where we've got the number one ranked team in the country, Oregon, taking the field for the first time. They're the overall one seed. Uh, they are certainly expected to win the tournament. I don't think that necessarily means that they're definitely going to win the tournament. Uh, we still haven't seen a lot from Colorado. We're going to get a healthier Washington team. Sounds like Khalif El Salam should be back out on the field this weekend after missing Santa Barbara invite. Uh, you've got some other teams that have been looking pretty impressive. Uh, Cal Poly Slow, Colorado State, um, and and a few others. Now, the, the, the tournament is definitely not as deep on the men's side. There are uh, a, a good handful of ranked teams and some some very you know some great top ten teams in Oregon and Colorado, but then it, it thins out pretty quickly after that. Uh, and one note, a very tough pool D. Colorado State, for I believe regional balancing purposes, is seated twelfth at this tournament. 
they're in the top 25. Uh, they are certainly better than about five or six of the teams seated in front of them, maybe more than that. Um, so they have a tough pool, though. They're going to go up against Cal Poly, and they have to go up against Western Washington, uh, two teams that have looked pretty good at the, at the beginning of this year. Um, so how does Colorado State hold up? Those games are going to be pretty important because I think it, it looks to me like that's a team that's going to need to get a bid if they want to go to nationals. Because I think it's going to be tough sledding to get past Colorado, Texas, or Texas A&M out of the South Central. And at the beginning of the season, I picked the South Central to only get three bids. I think it's possible they could get four. But this weekend is going to be decisive, perhaps, for Colorado State and to seeing whether they can get that fourth bid or not. And it's unfortunate, Charlie, because I, I think that from all accounts, they're pretty good. This is a team that is they are good. competitive. They're exciting to watch. They've got some really talented guys. And they have great results so far. I mean, they don't have any marquee wins. Uh, their best win right now is 13-7 over uh, apparently surging Oregon State team after uh, they won the Stanford Open. But they they lost by two to Washington without Gleef El-Salam. And uh, by one, the Cal Poly slow. So all signs right now indicate that Colorado State is for real. And it, maybe it's unfortunate for a team like Western Washington, who also got after a strong start to the season, that they're going to be dealing with an underseeded Colorado State team. Because I, I know I wouldn't buy them as the 12th best team in this field. And, you know, for slow and Western Washington, having to face a team that's underseeded could be could be tricky, especially if, you know, the weather's going to make for small margins. I'm definitely excited to see the top teams here. You know, where does Colorado stack up? Well, I mean, every year we know they're going to be a strong competitive team. But it feels like they might be a little under the radar this year in terms of how good they could be. Mark Rawls is coming off of a fantastic club season with Johnny Bravo. And when you look at Mark Rawls, you're not thinking, here's somebody who's going to be a, a dominant playmaker. But there he is playing offense for Johnny Bravo at, I, I don't know the height, his height off the top of my head, but he's probably 5'6", five, 5'7", five, maybe. Just a, a great player for the Bravo O-line. He is going to be just unstoppable in college this season. Incredible speed, uh, incredible quickness, just the ability to get open as however he needs to in the backfield. I think we're going to see a lot of Mark Rawls this weekend. And uh, I'm excited to see what he can do to lead that Colorado team. Uh, could they be better than Oregon? I think it's possible. You know, the, 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 the reason Oregon is number one, and I mean, I've had a few people ask me about this as, as they've been a number one for, for quite a while now. But you, you look at Oregon. Last year, they, they lose to Harvard during the regular season. Then they lose to Harvard again at Nationals. But they had a great offensive line. And basically, they return all of their key offensive players. And they had a, an excellent rookie class. Now they're all sophomores. Guys like Xander Quizontice, Will Laurie. Uh, and they bring in some, some fantastic new freshmen this year. The team has expanded back up to, you know, mid-20s in terms of its roster size after being very small, if you remember, at the end of the Dylan Freechild era when they had like 15 players. Uh, so they have more bodies. I think that bodes well for their ability to build a defense. And that's really been the question mark for Oregon for a long time. Can they play defense? And the answer has been basically no. Uh, they'll get Ds, but they won't convert. Or really, they'll struggle to, to create pressure at all. They stay in games because their offense has been so good but they haven't been able to build a championship caliber defense. And that's really hurt them. Uh, even in the seasons when they've been really talented and made the semis uh, and eventually made the finals when they got blown out by UNC a couple years ago in Dylan Freechild's final year. So what can they do this year? They've got a big roster. They've got all this young, excellent talent from the West Coast. Can they put together a team that can be competitive both on offense and defense? That's one of the things I'm going to be watching for this weekend. Charlie, if, if I had to ask you, how many, how many times do you think the Oregon men's team has been ranked number one by Ulti World in the past, since we started tracking That's it? That's a guess great question. Years. I mean, this is a team that every year has a great regular season. 
And so I think it's probably pretty common. I mean, I would say maybe every other season they've been number one at some point. They have been number one for not counting this year when they've been number one the entire year or, or ever since November, which I guess was our second set of preseason rankings. Uh, they've been number one the whole time since then. But prior to that, they had been number one in the power rankings just one time. Wow. One time, and that was at the in again in the fall of 2014. Pittsburgh took the top spot from them, and they never reclaimed it. Oregon's obviously one of the one of the strongest programs in the men's division, but they have not always been as good as as maybe we expected them to be, or on paper. And I'm curious to see if they can hold that position this year. It's interesting for them to not have a star player because they have for so long had those kind of star guys and. You know, maybe it is Adam Reese or maybe it's Connor Matthews or maybe this is the year of Colton Clark or whatnot. But I think that if you look at this roster, they look a lot deeper than we've seen before. And that comes from both the new talent, you know, when you see guys like uh, Ted Scyther or Duncan Fitzgerald or Colby Chuck. And it comes from some of the guys who've been role players who are back. Uh, so your Spencer Latarskis or your uh, Tim McGinn's, your Jacob Lambert's. They have such a deep roster i think this year of guys who've been in the game who've been there and seen the system they still they've had jay janin at the helm for so long that you really i think that familiarity is really valuable for them and i think colby chuck is someone who can be a big difference maker for this team because if he can take over the reins for one of their lines handling i think it will help make their defense better you know, if they can move some of these, some of the guys who've been on the mainstays of their O line and get those guys making plays for the D line, maybe that's moving Colton Clark over. Maybe it's playing Connor Matthews on defense. Maybe it's giving you know Braden Petrus or Ben Pettis like those guys more run on the D line. Maybe, I think that that could be one of the factors that allows Oregon to remain a top team. But I, I, just with their history, I, I'm a little skeptical of them to be the number one team. I, I still believe that. This is a semifinals contender, a national title contender right now. I think the talent level is just too high and the experience is too high. But I'm, I'm not sure that I want to buy on them being the number one seed or winning this tournament. You know, I can't blame you. I really can't blame you. I think that's probably about how I feel because, like I said, this is a team that has historically put together one of the best offenses in the division. Many years they've had the number one offense. I mean, obviously we don't have stats for that kind of stuff, but – they you know they score with incredible efficiency but the defense has been lackluster to bad and i remember you know the year that they went to finals i think even they were winning games because they would stack the line once or twice a game and get a break when free child was out there and otherwise they couldn't get a break they just couldn't get a break the thing is though their offense was so good nobody could break them and that works for a while, but then later in the season, defenses get better, offenses get better, and if you haven't built that D, you don't have the ability to get to the finals. I think, or or to win a championship. You know, they 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 got a, a pretty good draw against Florida State that year, and then they go up against UNC and looked totally exposed by a UNC team that had a very good, talented defense and some schemes in place just to deal with Oregon's offensive sets. Um, so I, I understand the skepticism and I, I also feel like the returns are just not in yet. We need to see what they can do this weekend. You know, them winning this tournament isn't necessarily even that meaningful. I want to see them winning with defense with, you know, winning games by six, not by two. Uh, so we'll see what happens. I think uh, a, a, a very compelling team, a team that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. And uh, I, I am definitely curious to see how they stack up with teams like Colorado and Washington. Well, Charlie, looking at uh, the big picture for the men's side here, the most, the most up and down region for, for uh, our panel when polled for how they thought the bids were going to shake out is the Northwest. A lot of people saying two, a lot of people saying three. It's a real mixed bag. And you know, Oregon and Washington look like the likely teams to win it. But at this tournament, you've got Western Washington, who's gotten off to a solid start to the season. 
And they've got an opportunity to make a move and, and really so help solidify the Northwest case. And a team that perhaps is maybe unjustly is flown under the radar, a team that went to nationals last year, right, you know, uh, is, is, uh, is Utah. And, you know, this is a team very few people are talking about, but they've got uh, Josh Z- – I, I know I'm going to butcher this – Josh Zerdowski. Zerdowski. I'm sticking with Zerdowski. Uh, but uh, the guy who's like, I don't know, <laughs> six foot 20, uh, is a U24 tryout. And he, it certainly draws your attention, but he's a good player. And it's it's Zdrowski, I think. Boy, that Zdrowski. is hard to pronounce, isn't it? It is. There's a lot of consonants. Zdrowski. I'm going with Zdrowski. Zdrowski. Wow. I'm also finding it very difficult. I was going to make fun of you, but now I'm struggling. Is this how NBA commentators feel about saying Antetokounmpo? Maybe you don't have to say the Z. Maybe it's just Drodowski. Maybe. I'm, not, I'm sticking with Zerodowski. Anyway, I'm, I'm he, he, he's a great player. You're right. And, and he's a team that we'll see. I mean, with the confidence of going to nationals, this is a team that should be competitive again this year. I mean, how many nationals contenders are this off the radar? Nationals teams are this off the radar next the next year, despite returning one of their top guys and uh, an, another portion of their team and being on the up and up as a program uh, between Washington and Utah. I mean, I don't know. Is the Northwest a, a, in position to maybe score some, some bid points that are going to be highly valuable for them and the, and the Canadian teams that aren't in attendance. Uh, you know, your UBCs, your BYU or your UBCs, your Victoria's uh, are, are, is this a big game for them? Well, yeah. I, and you, you left a team out here because they're not playing this weekend, but Oregon State just competed and won the Stanford Open. And they had a pretty good weekend at the Santa Barbara Invite. They were a bubble team for our top 25 that weekend. I think they were the last team out. So this is also a team that's going to be in the mix. And winning the Stanford Open obviously opens the door for them to go to the Stanford Invite. And so what can they do in a couple weeks in Palo Alto? But you look at just at this weekend, for sure, Oregon and Washington... I expect to get bids. Western Washington is in a pool where they could claw a bid away from potentially the Southwest or the South Central because they've got slow and they've got Colorado State in their pool. You go undefeated in that pool, you win games uh, with, a, with a little bit of a margin, you're putting yourself in a position to earn a bid. Simple as that. So, you know, remember also, this is a long weekend. There's power pools. It's a three-day tournament. So we're going to get a lot of – teams are going to play a lot of – of competition and uh so you know it's not just about winning one game you've got to really be able to sustain that over the course of the weekend and over the course of different conditions because we're going to go from rain and wind into sunshine and calm later in the weekend but absolutely i mean i think the northwest is is a wild card a little bit i think i think three looks pretty likely but honestly is four a possibility it it seems like it could be um, you know, don't forget Victoria just got their consortium approved. So they're getting back a bunch of the players that we didn't see on the field at Santa Barbara invite. So, you know, guys like Malcolm Bryson, maybe their best player back on the team and they don't play again until the Northwest challenge. So they, they may, they may struggle to get a bid because they're just not playing that many tournaments, but, uh, there's a lot of talent this year in the Northwest Unfortunately for the Northwest, a lot of it is at the bubble range and not up in the top 10. So I think that's really where the question marks come in. Can they win enough games against the other bubble teams like Western Washington has a chance to do this weekend in order to be successful? Good old Southwest syndrome. Oh, yeah. Have, have like 15 teams between 25 and 50. Exactly. Well, it should be All a right. really interesting weekend. Why don't, you, uh, why don't you make your picks and then I'll make mine. Uh, as I'm sitting here going through the teams and thinking about who I like the best, when, it, when the dust settles in my head, I mean, I, I'm going to take Oregon here. I really want to take Washington. I really want to, uh, but it's just hard for me to imagine them usurping Oregon when it's something that they've struggled to do in, in these past few years. And I like slow in Colorado as well, but I expect Colorado to be a little bit in that early season open lines, you know, trying to trying things out mode. Uh, so I'm going to stick with Oregon for this one. Yeah, I'm also taking Oregon. They are 28 players deep. 
uh, on their roster right now. So they've got the full roster heading into this weekend. Um, of course, they may not bring all those players down to San Diego, but still, I mean, I think this is a different looking Oregon team than we've seen in the past, and I, I just think that they're going to be the most talented team here. Um, I definitely think Colorado will be the other finalist, and I think Colorado's going to give them a run. I'm going to keep close eye on that on that team and on that game if it ends up happening. But um, I just think that Oregon, you know, they're going to have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder this year after last year's Nationals, a little bit of a disappointment. And I, I think, as for all the reasons I've already outlined, they've got a chance to be a, a, a great team this year. Ooh, I, I like I like Washington to make the to make the final format permitting. I, I, you know, if, if if their pool path, it's hard to always see through power pools, sends them to the finals against uh, against Oregon, then then I, I like Washington to make the finals over Colorado. Even though I, I like this Colorado team from the for the long haul, just maybe not for this weekend. That's fair. It's their first tournament of the year, and uh, of course Washington competed at Santa Barbara. All right, let's head out east and take a look at warm up. This is um, you know a very deep field. We've got uh, a lot of great teams in the mix. 19 teams at the tournament this year. Uh, BYU will play on Friday and Saturday, uh, and then of course not on Sunday. So we'll have we'll be down to 18 teams for Sunday's competition. A really interesting tournament because of the uh, sort of the vagaries of the way that they set it up. It's not traditional pool play. They play essentially two days of games of you know quote unquote pool play games where a lot of the top teams are set to play against one another. And so there are sort of these pseudo pools where you play everybody in your pool, but then you also play three games outside of your pool. And then the teams with the best records overall advance to the next round, and there's a bunch of crazy tiebreakers. So uh, stay... Hello, 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 Keith's puppy. Yes, my puppy. I don't know what's got her so excited about this, but she's... Going to the door to defend our uh, defend my home, I guess. Well, very good. She's getting excited for warm up, just like me. Yeah. Um, so uh, you know, y- you look at the field here. There's a lot of very very good teams. Uh, we're going to get our first look at Minnesota. Uh, Pittsburgh's taking the field for the first time. We've got the South Central teams: Texas and Texas A and M, Wisconsin, Carleton, uh, and then a lot of teams in the in sort of the wide middle. So you've got teams like. Florida, Florida State, Central Florida, you know, how good is UCF? They made it to the finals of the Carolina kickoff where they lost to UNC, but they looked pretty good that weekend. Uh, Brown, BYU, Auburn, Arizona State. So a a really interesting tournament. And I think what's always good is that you get all these varied matchups and a a lot of games between the best teams. So it's not just the finals. You're gonna see... Wisconsin versus, uh, you know, Minnesota. I don't know that those two teams are playing. I don't think they are. But I know Minnesota and Carleton are playing because we're filming that game. Um, and so, you know, that's, a, that's, that's two top ten teams out of the same region. But that's the way this tournament's set up. So uh, I'm pretty excited. It's always a fun one. And the, the weather looks like it's going to be beautiful. So uh, an exciting one. So, Keith, what are you watching for? Before we jump into this in full, Charlie, because I'm excited to do so, uh, I haven't gotten a preview of a lot of a lot of Florida warm up in my career. I don't think. What is what does the tournament organizers know about Villanova that I don't? Because as far as I can tell, they are like bottom half of Ohio Valley region team, and then boom, here they are going to this major tournament where they're going to be going toe to toe with a bunch of nationals teams most of the weekend a bunch of teams fighting for spots in nationals like i get northwestern and south carolina and south florida those are teams that have traditionally been there uh, northwestern's competed in the great lakes you know but what is villanova doing in this field well you know i don't i don't know how they ended up getting a bid um but i am definitely interested in seeing them play you know i think teams often use this tournament as an opportunity to try to take a step forward as a program because of course it's a commitment to travel uh, down to Florida for this tournament. And so, you know, we've seen teams kind of break out in the past as a, as a team to watch. I think Virginia tech comes to mind 
as some as a team that has kind of bubbled up. Now, Virginia Tech a little bit of a different story because they had already been a pretty competitive regionals team. I don't know about Villanova. We are Villanova. filming we're filming them this weekend. We've got one of their games. I think we have you know excluding bracket play which you know is to be to be decided. I think we're getting 15 or 16 of the 19 teams on film over the first two days of the tournament. Um, I would have to, to go back and check, but we're getting a lot of teams on film. So uh, Villanova will be one of them. So we'll get to see how they stack up. They lost every game at Ohio Valley regionals last year, including wow. a Pittsburgh. So uh, look, man, I'm not trying to knock you guys, Villanova, go out there, put this on their bulletin boards or whatnot. <laughs> but I just, it, one of these things is not like the other ones. Uh, but uh, jumping into the tournament itself, uh, man, this is just dripping with awesome top 10 quality matchups, right? You got Carlton in town, uh, you've got Minnesota, you've got Wisconsin, and then just outside the top 10, Texas A&M, Texas, uh, the Southeast teams, Pittsburgh. I, I, I've been a, a vocal uh, vocal supporter of wanting to see this new Pittsburgh team. I got a peek at them at CCC, but I just I really want to see what they look like. And and from all accounts, I mean it's not exactly shocking. They still look like a system oriented team. Maybe you know they still have a guy who's a lefty who jacks it a lot, but uh, it, it's a little bit different than what it used to be. But they're really relying on a couple different guys to do things, and it's fun to see those guys develop. Uh, the other team I'm, I'm really intrigued about is Texas A&M. We were down on them coming into the year. Then they look awesome in the fall, and then we're back up on them. And it's like, which team is this really going to be? Were we just totally off? Did they play above their heads? I, chances are they're somewhere between the two. But, you know, Carter Hollow, Connor, Connor Ugetto, like these are good players who can help make this team a, a team that's threatening to make quarterfinals or semifinals. But I, I don't know if I right now would – be ready to buy on Texas A&M. So I'm, I'm very curious to see how they perform faced with elite competition, which they're going to get plenty of. They're going to get Pitt. They're going to get Minnesota. They've got BYU, Auburn, Florida. All those are typically tough matchups, if if not elite top-tier teams. Yeah, I mean, it should be pretty exciting stuff. Uh, you know, I also another thing I love about this tournament, you get some just some historically weighted matchups. So, for example, we're going to get Minnesota-Pittsburgh, uh, on Saturday afternoon, of course, a rematch of last year's national semifinal. And while the personnel may have changed a little bit, I think that both of those teams are going to be excited to play that game again. Um, you also always at this tournament, because it's organized by Kyle Van Auken, the head coach of Florida, Florida always plays some exciting games. You know, they're not quite the team that they've been in the past, but, you know, we're going to get the showcase game Florida versus Wisconsin. And it, it it's hard to it's hard to not look at that game and be excited to watch it. Um, I think what's interesting about this tournament is that it's usually not very windy, and the fields are absolutely flat as uh, a stone. I mean, they are just it, it's it's like they've been created for ultimate, like perfectly flat fields, games under the lights, and uh, almost always excellent offensive conditions so you get these crazy shootout games and the offense is often very fun to watch you can pick any team and and come up with some some questions about where they stack up i think i'm definitely interested to see where things shake out towards the top how good is carlton big question mark i want to see how they play against minnesota that's a game uh, that that a lot of people will have an eye on Uh, how is minnesota going to look like the team that came to this tournament last year and won it. They were very impressive uh, a year ago after coming in as, you know, a top 25 team, but not one that people were expecting, at least at least we were not expecting, to look like a, a really a top-tier contender and then eventually win nationals. So how do they stack up? You know, Ben Yad is back. They lose Ryan Osgar, but they still have lots of talent on that team. A lot of people think they maybe should be number one, even though they had a little bit of a bumpier fall. Uh, where do teams like Brown fit in? Could that team challenge to get a third bid up for the uh, New England region? It's, uh, it's, an, it's an open question. So I, I, I'm, I'm pretty curious to see 
uh, especially you know where the North Central teams stand. And and the other big question for me, it's more of a bid one. Can the Southeast do some damage? Because this is the chance that the Southeast teams are going to get to really put their stamp on their chances to to get some bids. And you know, right now, I think. Uh, a lot of people say, well, it looks like maybe two bids with Georgia and UCF, but UCF's going to have to do some work this weekend. They got a lot of tough games and, uh, you know, doing well in middle of January when a lot of teams haven't been practicing at all and you're in sunny weather doesn't necessarily translate. So I'm going to be keeping an eye on that team and, and how they compete this weekend. Michael Fairley's looked uh, fantastic as the leader of that team. We've talked a lot of. Uh in the offices, so to speak, about the Southeast and, and who could be that bid winner because don't don't forget, Southeasterners, that uh, Charlie is the only person to pick the region to get one bid. Uh, while everybody else at all 2 World picked them to get two bids. Uh, and for me, I was, I was looking at Florida as the second team, but I figured really that one of those teams, whether it's Florida, Auburn, Central Florida, Florida State, uh, one of those teams would rise up and, and do what they needed to do. And for all, all those teams are going to be here, really. This is their chance to do that. And you're right. This is a big weekend for the Southeast. It's a big opportunity for them because they, they host the tournament. And I think it's why so many of those teams get in. And it could be attributed to one of the regions that, that we've seen grow, one of the reasons we've seen growth in the region's general competitiveness. Uh, but, one of those teams, Florida State, gets to play Carlton first, I believe. If I'm, it, the schedules are so difficult to read, but I think they get Carlton first. Uh, and Carlton has lost their first game at this tournament, if I'm not mistaken, for the last two years. So they don't always come out firing. They've certainly lost a couple of games every every first day that they've played at warm up for the past couple of years. So uh, Carlton. Are they vulnerable coming into this? I mean, we know that they are a super talented team. We've talked so much about how every year we get excited about it being their year and they come up short. We're doing it again, but this year we're going to push more of the chips over. You know, we're, we're going all in on them. But I, I would not be surprised if they came out and dropped a couple in these first couple games of the season because that is the Carlton way. That is uh, the Carlton way, especially here at warm-up. Absolutely. I've watched them lose early early games on Friday at this tournament many years. I'm pretty, I, I think Connecticut, we filmed last year, Connecticut last year. versus Carlton and they beat Carlton. And yeah. that was a, that was a crazy game. And, uh, there's always some exciting stuff at this tournament. Let me, let me hit you with our filming schedule, Keith. Yeah. I, I, this is news to me though. Yeah. You're- this is, this is, uh, this is as of now unpublished. This is a sneak preview for podcast listeners. We're going to do Arizona state versus Cornell. Texas A&M versus Pittsburgh, Minnesota versus Carleton, Auburn versus BYU, Brown versus Auburn, and Central Florida versus Texas. That's day one. All right, day two. South Florida versus Northwestern, Florida State versus Pittsburgh, Villanova versus ASU, Texas versus Brown, Florida versus Carleton. And then on Sunday, we will have the wild card game, a semifinal, and the championship game. So pretty, pretty exciting schedule. I think you can see we get a great mix of teams as well as really exciting matchups. And, um, you know, I think the one team that right now we do not have that I, of course, want to get is Wisconsin. Uh, really, I think they're going to make the bracket and we'll be able to get them on Sunday. So uh, we'll definitely see what we can do with Wisconsin. Of course, if we don't get them, we'll certainly film them later this year. But uh, what do you think of the schedule, Keith? Sounds pretty strong. Love the variety. Can't can't hate on that. Get Carlton and Minnesota. That's pretty hype. Can't can't be upset about that. I know for me, I, I am also on the Brown hype train. I'm expecting them to do well and to be top 25. Uh, I think that they're going to put themselves in a good position. And they we get them on film in a pretty good game. So... Uh, those are the ones that, that jump out to me, but you know, there's a little something for everybody here. Yeah. I'm, a little I'm buffet pretty, style. I think Minnesota Carlton obviously stands out, but one of the games that I'm excited for is central Florida versus Texas. Just two really athletic, big Southern teams that are going to probably match up really well with each other. Uh, and I think that's a pretty good game to kind of see where they, those two teams stand. 
you know, that's the kind of game that if UCF wins it, you start to think about them as a team that could really make a push up towards the the top 10 in the rankings as opposed to being in the, you know, the 20 range. And uh, for Texas, if they get a decisive win there, uh, I think that goes to show you how good they could be this year. So uh, that that's a game I'm going to be keeping an eye on. And that's uh, the showcase game on Friday night, 7 o'clock, under the lights. Any love for uh, – well, this is, this is going real deep. So UCF, uh, I believe this year, getting coached by Tyler Kunza with Andrew Roca, if I'm not mistaken. Am I, that am is I right correct. About that? that is correct. Right. Last time we saw Tyler Kunza playing college ultimate was getting eliminated by Texas at Nationals and it doing so in fiery fashion. Uh, don't forget, though, that that UCF team also gets pit. So Kunza, who uh, was a vet for that pit team and one of their strongest players, he'll get to see uh, his former guys and coach against them. Uh, so a little bit, a little bit of subtext going into a couple. And of that's what games. I'm saying. This tournament always offers that, and that's one of the things I love about it. Definitely, and uh, maybe we'll see some Ben Yacht dabs along the way. Uh, Auburn, there's just like, I mean, when you bring together this type of field with this many teams, there's always going to be something interesting to see. But always things go away from plan. You know, it's not right. this. You're not gonna. There's not even really seeds to, to break here, but you're not gonna go to, to expectation when you go down to warm up. That's yeah. just the. And I think one of the, the big challenges is can you sustain your play over the course of three days, especially considering that you're gonna have you know double buys and um, multiple sort of weird scheduling things. Uh, that's always a challenge for teams, and so that's why you get some unusual results. It's not your typical tournament. Uh, so let's make our picks. Uh, I am going to go first here, and I'm going to take Carlton to win this tournament. Uh, I, I, I think that I'm going to jump on the Carlton bandwagon early here. I've been real skeptical of this team. I remain a little skeptical of this team. They've under, underperformed for a couple of seasons now, but I cannot deny the talent that they have, um, and I think they've got a good chance to win this weekend if they can put it all together. Charlie, you sound like a fool. I'm taking Minnesota. I'm taking Minnesota. I, I can't believe you're taking Carlton to win their first tournament of the year. That's silly. I'm taking Minnesota. They're really good. They play well at this tournament. They have a great attitude for dealing with and good depth to deal with the, the length of the weekend. So I'm going to take uh, Minnesota, although I really like Wisconsin. And I really like Texas. Yep. And I've already talked about Brown. So I like Texas to do well this weekend, maybe uh, surpass expectations. Um I think it'll be a good weekend. It's six and a half hours to drive there, or like a hundred bucks to fly there. Charlie, you want to ante up? I can. Uh, this is all this talk's got me got getting, me hungry. You getting excited to come on down to Tampa? All yeah. right. Well, we'll talk after the show. Okay. Hey, fans. Fans, if you, I mean, you're going to hear this after we're done, so you can't exactly tweet at Charlie and tell him to take. <laughs> um, all right. So good stuff. Looking forward to those two tournaments. Uh, as mentioned, we also have the Easterns qualifier this weekend. Uh, definitely more of a of a second tier tournament, but a, an important one for a lot of teams. Number one seed is North Carolina State, uh, Case Western the two seed, JMU the three seed, Virginia the four seed. So those are your uh, top four. There's a lot of teams in the mix though that are going to have a chance to do well and win this tournament. Um, NC State should definitely be considered the favorite. I think it's right that they're the one seed. Uh, they really need to win. They need to win if they want to have a chance to go to nationals this year. Big tournament for the Atlantic Coast, uh, both because of where the tournament is happening there in, in Axton, Virginia, but also because you know none of those second-tier AC teams are going to be able to take down Wilmington or North Carolina this year. So if you want to go to Nationals, you got to earn it, and this is a chance for those teams to, to go out there and earn it. Uh, so uh, I'm, you know, I'm going to take NC State. I think that the team typically seems to struggle when they're in pressure situations against better teams and, you know, they might be ahead and then they'll blow the lead. And we've seen that from them a couple years now. Uh, this is a tournament where they're going to be the front runner. And I think that they probably are going to do a little bit better to kind of manage their uh, mental side of the game when they're the favorite. So uh, I, I like them to win. I think they're the most talented team at the tournament. Yeah. They barely beat case Western, the number two seed uh, at queen city tune up. Uh, but because they got that win, I, I'm going to take NC State too. I think Case is, is the next best team there. 
uh, and they've already shown they could beat BK, so I'm going to take them. All they right. look solid, that all, especially on offense. NC State's got a good offense. Yeah, they do. I mean, that's the thing. They're they're a talented team. They 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 blew a game at QCTU that they should have won. They almost lost that game to Case. They should have won that more more handily. Um, and they just they sometimes don't play their best when the pressure is on. Um, so you know the pressure certainly will be on this weekend as they try to claim a bid to the Easterns, uh, which is going to be a, a great tournament this year. Uh, quickly looking at the Stanford Open from this past weekend, as I've already mentioned, Oregon State was the one seed they took the title. Um, and, uh, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't an easy win for them. They, 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 they barely nudged out uh, Nevada-Reno in the quarters, 11-10. to 10. People are probably thinking, Nevada-Reno, what? Nevada-Reno, pretty good team. Pretty good team. Uh, they 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 had a quietly had a pretty good fall, and then after losing to Oregon State in quarters, they uh, whomped Whitman thirteen seven in the fifth place semis, and then beat a very talented uh, Air Force, one of the best D three teams in the country, eleven to nine in the fifth place game. So uh, Nevada Reno, a team to watch for in the next couple of years. I don't know if they're going to be good enough this year to really make a move, but um, quietly good. Oregon State went on to beat UCSB twelve eight. In the semis, and then just beat the number two seed USC ten nine in the final. So Oregon State claims a bid to the Stanford invite, uh, and we will see more from them. They're, they're uh, probably going to make the top twenty five this week. Looking over on the women's side of things, it was uh, a, a nice weekend for UC Davis, and they claimed a seven four win over UC San Diego. Uh, they upset UCSD. That was the one seed. Davis was the two seed. They beat them 7-4 in the final to claim a spot at the Stanford Invite. Uh, a lot of low scores in the women's division, uh, a lot of capped games. But uh, Davis went 8-6 over Cal Poly Slow in quarters, 9-5 over Puget Sound. Uh, Puget Sound had a great weekend. 20th seed made the semis. And then Davis uh, over San Diego 7-4 in the final. So uh, anything that you think UC Davis can make a run this year in the Southwest, Keith? Sure. Why not? Uh, it's, it's, it's a Southwest deep, talented region. Right. And, and that's, but this is, this is all typical Southwesternness, right? Uh, yeah. UC, UCSD beat Davis at uh, their last tournament. And now Davis is beating UCSD and, you know, it, Slow is, has looked pretty good, and uh, there are a bunch of teams, you know, hovering around. And I'm, I'm curious to see if anybody, because both of these teams are going to be at Pres Day, maybe they can make a little, a little bit of a name for themselves rather than kind of like mixing it up over and over again. It was a weird weekend too with the weather and really short rounds. Uh, I think those were clearly the two best teams there, and definitely a shout out to Puget Sound. You already mentioned they're uh, a nice bounce back weekend for them in D3 women's, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is a very southwest way to start things off, and now they're going to get a chance to, to do battle with some teams from outside the region at, uh, at Pres Day. All right, two last little drips that we're going to get to before the end of the show. First of all, thoughts on early Callahan videos. You know, we saw the trend start last year when Trent Dillon got a video in January, um, his sort of first video, and then got a second video later in the year, went on to win the Callahan. This year, we've already seen three early videos. We saw one first from Khalif El-Salam at Washington, and then we saw Carl Morgenstern at Pittsburgh get a video, and uh, then a little bit more tongue-in-cheek, Ben Yacht has had two videos released. I believe there are going to be a total of four as he releases the prelude to the Snapchat preview to the blah, 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 um, Minnesota's uh, certainly best player. And so... I guess I don't, you know, if you have thoughts on the videos, go ahead. But I'm more curious to think, to hear your thoughts on what do you think of this trend of getting Callahan videos, uh, sort of like early previews for the team's nominees. So I have a couple thoughts on this, Charlie. One, overall good. More video is better. Uh, two, I think it'll make the later videos better because it does two things, hopefully. One is it takes out a lot of the uh, like the club and past college seasons footage, so you get more of a like the actual Callahan videos, just footage from this spring. Uh, I think that can only enhance the general presentation. Uh, 
It also is hopefully going to shorten the videos we get at the end of the year because nobody feels the need to jam in all these highlights because I got them in another video. So we don't have to deal with, you know, two songs over seven to nine minutes worth of footage. Ain't nobody got time for that, Charlie. Uh, so I, I like that in the, in general trends. However, the, this is going to get old quick. You know, it was cool because Trent did it and nobody had done it before. And it was kind of like, dang, he has enough highlights for two videos and they're both nice. That's, that was cool. If everybody does it, it's not going to be cool anymore. Um, so those are my thoughts in general on the pre, on the pre video. Uh, also shout out to Ben Yaw for being willing to make a fool of himself, I guess, or let his teammates do that. Yeah. yeah I love Minnesota's uh, sort of online persona. That's the great stuff from them. I, I laughed a lot when I saw that first video come out. Um, look overall, I think kind of Minnesota gets this right because they're m- making light of what is pretty silly. Uh, you know, look, I, I like highlight reels too, but why are people I, – I don't really understand why people are being nominated essentially in January. Uh, again, is this award not about performance over the course of the season? You know, what if Khalif El-Salam is injured and can't play for most of the spring? Like I, I think it's sort of silly to be announcing people months in advance before the season has actually happened. And, you know, sure, I get it. It's – Khalif Al Salam, you know he's he's the star of Washington. We're not surprised to see him get the nod, but I, I'm not I'm not really a fan of these. I I haven't watched any of these videos uh, other than the Minnesota one. I'm going to wait to watch players on the field before I sort of form any opinions. Um, I think it's sort of a nice gesture by teams to their players, and there's such a lack of content that I think people are excited to watch highlights of players no matter what. But, you know, why do I need to watch somebody's club highlights uh, as a part of their Callahan nomination? I, I, I've never liked that at all. And just because it's happening in an early video does uh, nothing to make it better for me. So I, I'm really not a big fan, and I hope it doesn't become a thing. I definitely can see how teams arrived at, at continue to do this. I mean, it worked for Trent. It worked. And we've long That's said exactly that what it is. Having the best video is one of the best ways to win. So when I have two videos, yeah. we have two shots of the best video. So I definitely see the logic. And soon we may see like, oh, man, here's how good so-and-so's practice was. Tuesday. I'm looking forward, I'm looking forward, to, <laughs> I'm looking forward to, you know, the 2018 Callahan nomination video that comes out in March. <laughs> It's a little much. Folks. I like it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Minnesota's totally going to do that now. They're totally going to release their next year's Callahan video of somebody. Yeah, I, they, they should. That's a, some free advice for you, Gray Duck. Um, all right. Last little thing. Uh, USA Ultimate announced the 2017 Triple Crown Tour guidelines. Um, mostly not super interesting. Kind of the same old story. Uh, you know, we, we already knew that the the season was going to shift in terms of scheduling. The Nationals is moving back into October. But one of the big things is that they're going to be experimenting with the mixed division uh, gender ratio rule at the U.S. Open. So instead of having the offense choose, uh, it's going to be that the end zone chooses. This is one of the new WIFDIF um, sort of experimental mixed rules. So uh, now, you know, the, let's say the left-hand end zone will always decide the ratio of either 4-3 or 3-4. Thoughts on this, Keith? Uh, I mean, I'm pro it on the whole. I mean, I, I think the idea is that it'll allow teams to more frequently uh, change the gender ratio to 3-4. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's one of those things where it's, it's they're going to do it at the U.S. Open. It's good. It's a big stage. Uh, and, you know, it'll, it'll get some international teams involved doing the same thing. And then they're going to give flexibility for other tournaments to do it. So I'm a little curious as how frequently tournament directors will use this rule. Uh, is it going to be something where everybody just kind of jumps on board, or are you going to have some people who are adopting it and who some who aren't? And if, if there's a distinction between those two, are we going to see some online outrage in response to those choices? I definitely like the idea of experimenting here. People seem to be really pushing for more female involvement in the mixed division, and that makes sense considering that uh, it's typically been four men, three women. And in general, the stats we've seen both anecdotally and things that have been sort of 
written down show that men you know, dominate touches and assists and goals even more than the 4-3 uh, ratio would suggest. Uh, the thing is, I'm pretty skeptical of the sort of end zone decides rule because how is that really going to make that much of a difference in terms of balancing uh, play on the field? I think it's more likely that that rule helps to mitigate the problem of always allowing the team that's behind to have the sort of advantage in deciding how many you know players they put on the field. Because if you imagine a team is getting scored on a lot and they're behind in the game, that means they're playing more offensive points, so they're picking the ratio more often. Uh, this obviously eliminates that, but that is seems like a secondary concern. Um, my feeling, and I put this in this week's mailbag, check it out if you haven't already, the Monday mailbag, let's just play mix six on six. Three men, three women. Same size field, same everything, just play with one fewer player on the field. Uh, I think it's a pretty compelling idea. You kind of reduce the effectiveness of zone a little bit. Uh, you open up some space on the field. You reduce the ability for poaching to happen. And obviously, you fix any kind of gender imbalance problem once and for all without having to do any sort of weird, kind of bizarre, difficult-to-describe rules uh, to, to fix it in other ways. I'm all for experimenting, so I'm down for someone. Someone jump in and try the six-on-six. Six. Let's see what it looks like. I love right, it. I got to see it now. Sure. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week's Deep Look. Thanks so much for being with us. Keith, enjoy your weekend. We'll uh, be back here next week to talk all about all the college action uh, over the last uh, couple of weeks and a whole lot more. Enjoy your vacation, Charlie. Thanks, Keith. Thanks, Keith.